and we are back on the boots on the ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer and Ben, we get to, you know, we invited back another guest for, for this week's pod that we had a while ago, but we haven't had in a, quite some time and we're really excited to have him back. Our, our guy, Krishna Jackson, Oge Hoops, back in the club, um, doing his work up in Chicago with the Bulls and really getting into the the betting a little bit, Christian. I mean, tell us about that. You've kind of been, you were on a cold streak, which I felt badly, but I didn't say anything at the time because, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the, the peaks and the valleys of sports betting, but you kind of picked it up on a heater a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's, first of all, great to be here. You know, you guys are my guys. Been killing it all year and fun watching you guys do what you do and ride with the Deeks. Um, in terms of that, I'll say this. It's such a hard game, right? I'm still new to it. I've been watching college basketball and making predictions my whole life, but I'm still like this. I would call this year two, year three of actually like tracking stuff. And this is my first year I go public with tracking, but that's the thing. No matter how much you know about these teams, no matter how smart you think you are, like the book, the lines are so, so, so good. And you're rarely going to find like some edge that you're just better than the lines, you know? So if you're right 56% of the time, you're killing it. <laughs> and that's something I got to remember. For me, it's like, I just get mad when I'm, when I'm horribly wrong. You know, like if you like today, I had Xavier uh, to cover three and a half against Nova and they won by three. Like, you know what? We'll move on. You know, I'm not, I'm not actually betting much money at all. It's just, it's more the principle of the, of, of, of reading it right and stuff. But, you know, at this point in the season, like I've, I'm concentrated on the teams that I like to play and, I've watched them play a lot and finding different edges. One thing I've been loving to do lately is listen to press conferences of coaches around, you know, the sport, because, you know, when I covered Wake, listen to every Forbes conference. And obviously I knew Wake super well because I was in the trenches. Like, it's like, I knew everything about every game. And it's like, if you're betting, like the thing I see of a lot of people, like betting on games of teams that they just don't know that well. So I, I try to just be as uh, informed as possible before I make a play and, and it's hard though because you start having biases of the teams you like, as I as I saw when I took my Miami Hurricanes who scored thirty eight points on Monday. But no, it's been fun. Uh, it's been cool to get some buzz on Twitter and just gonna see if we can stay green through through the end of March. We talked to or you mentioned the the press conferences in regards to Wake. The last two post game press conferences have pretty been pretty interesting, and it's not the the usual suspect. It hasn't been Steve Forbes who's been really interesting. First, it was Red Autry for for Syracuse, and then Damon Stoudemire last night Tuesday evening for for Georgia Tech. A pair of pretty let's uh, <laughs> descriptive or or non descript press conferences. Maybe in Red Autry's case, he he certainly got into his team struggles and then Damon Stoudemire kind of summed it up in about a 20 second phrase, but we'll get into those games in a second. We, we gloss, we're going to gloss over Pitt because everything that needs to be said about that game has, has already been said. It happened a while ago. We, we haven't had a podcast since before that game. Happy to finally be back, uh, back with, I guess our boots on the ground in North Carolina. I was out in California for the weekend, but anyways, the, after that, that, that game against Pitt, which was a, a kind of a classic Wake Forest second half deterioration. The past two games for the Demon Deacons have been com a complete turnaround for the team. I mean, Ben, Christian, you look at it, 99-70, 29-point victory against Syracuse, and then you go beat 
Georgia Tech, you finally get that that road demon off your back and win by 29 again against Georgia Tech, 80-51, at one point leading by 38 points. What's changed for this Wake Forest team after Pitt, where I know it's Syracuse and I know it's Georgia Tech. It's not the top-tier teams in the ACC, but to come out and wallop two teams like that, and you've seen what it's done to, to the metrics. I mean, Wake Forest is rocketed up in Kempom. They've gotten a lot better in net. And they've gotten themselves squarely back into that NCAA tournament conversation. In a two-game stretch, this team has turned around the narrative on its season and put itself right back in position to be in position. Yeah, I mean, what I think this this team has done a little bit better over the past two games especially is just found a way to be a little bit more consistent over the course of a 40-minute game. I mean, obviously... Like you just mentioned it as, because I don't think Syracuse and Georgia Tech are the premier talent in the conference. But even so, something that this Wake Forest team has struggled with so much, especially in the you know some of the more heartbreaking road losses they've suffered this season, is just they've looked like a truly different team from half to half. You know, you had NC State on the road where you were leading by I believe ten and a half, and then you get outscored by seventeen, lose on the road. Um, you know, you were up one against Carolina at half, and then you know you. Nobody was expecting Wake to go in and win that game, and then you completely stop competing in the second half and you know lose by more than 20. A couple other road losses like that. You had a really tough performance against Florida State. Um, but finally, you know, against against Syracuse at home, you 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 know put the foot on the gas and stay on the gas, stay unbeaten at home, which I think has been a huge factor in this team's ability to stay around the bubble conversation, even when they've been really struggling on the road and struggling to pick up wins against, you know, some teams that they would have really liked to have beaten. And then, you know, you finally do against Georgia Tech really just come in and I, th- I think the team was playing angry. I think they looked a lot better defensively. I think they, you know, they were able to win without, um, you know, really sacrificing much of their identity. It was a comfortable road victory, which is something that this team has really not had at all this year. The, the game against Boston College was very hard fought that they won. Um, back at the beginning of the year. So, you know, really good for this team to just, like you said, us, because it really was starting to feel like a road demon on the back of this team. And it was, you know, we've said it all year long. This team's going to have to win some games on the road down the stretch if they want, you know, to go dancing come the end of the season. So I think you would have liked to have that win against Pitt. I think the team did a good job of not, you know, letting the hangover from that affect them in the next couple games, really getting back to their playing their brand of basketball. Well, of all people, I was actually talking about, these past two games on the phone with my mom this afternoon. And one of the thing, the questions that she posed was what did Steve Forbes say to his team after the pick game that it almost, it's like catching lightning in a bottle with these two 29 point victories. And one of the things I want to discuss Christian is just in the kind of two very different ways in which Wake Forest won these games. I mean, against Syracuse, it was a Wake Forest offense that it felt like they they couldn't miss. I mean, 66% from the field, 63% from three, just felt like everything was rolling for the Deacons offense. I mean, you have Hunter Salas with 24 points, Poopy Miller with 21, just kind of firing on all cylinders. And then against Georgia Tech, yes, the Wake Forest offense performed well, especially at the start with that 23-0 run. But you look at the end of the game statistics for the Deeks, and it's 46% from the field, 23% from three. Not, you know, awe-inspiring numbers on the offensive end, 
and, and seemingly it was more had something to do with what Wake Forest defense and how they, they were performing against Georgia Tech. I mean, they just shut them down. So two big wins, two 29-point wins, but it almost displays two different sides of the Deeks where their offense is, is variable and, and really successful. You've got a lot of different guys who can and perform well, and then you have a defense that at times can really shut the door against the team. All right, look, I'm about to stir the pot a little bit. I agree. I think this team is really good on offense, and I also think it's really good on defense, right? And I, and I look at these last two games, Essex, you said that you feel like the narrative has kind of changed a little bit after these last two games. And I want to push back on that idea for a second because all three of us, we've talked about this team from this the first time I was on this podcast before the first season. What did we say? We said this, this is the makings of an NCAA tournament team like Steve Forbes is due. It's year four, right? So I have had ingrained in my mind the entire year that this year is not a success if we don't make the tournament. And I started watching this team play without Efton Reed. And I'm like, wow, throw Efton Reed on there. And that's a tournament team. Okay. And Damari Monsanto. And, and now we're here, right? And flashback to before we just have these two blowout wins, which, which I'm not trying to take away from them. Like we were awesome, but, but I'm not like, it wasn't like I just saw a whole new Wake Forest. Like, that's not how I'm seeing these. Obviously, we played really well, right? But I didn't really see anything that I didn't think that I haven't, one, already seen before, or two, didn't think we were capable of, which is why I'm pretty even-keeled. It's that and along with the opponents. Like, like Clemson and Duke beat the breaks off Syracuse. Or, no, I didn't mean Clemson. I'm sorry. Duke and North Carolina beat the breaks off Syracuse, right? Syracuse has not shown an ability to beat anyone good this year. So it's like if we're a good team – we should beat up Syracuse. And whether we win by 15 or 29, to me, it's all the same. To Ken Palm, it's not, which brings me back to the fact that we were 41, 41st in Ken Palm before these two blowouts, and now we're 25th, okay? And ironically, like, this makes no sense, but, like, I would have never expected Wake to be in this position, but we are the metrics darling team. Like, we are the team that is really high in Ken Palm that, that the national perception is not up to. Right. Like we're the team that Vegas thinks is better than than the NCAA, than the bracketologists do. Right. Like Ken Palm right now thinks we're better than TCU, Texas, Florida Atlantic, like Colorado State, like teams that people are saying are like legit second weekend NCAA tournament teams. And it's like the numbers, the computer efficiencies are now putting us there. And it's just kind of funny to me, I guess, that two blowouts is what launched us from 41st to 25th, because like. Yes, Georgia Tech has been frisky against some bad teams. Like, or I'm, I'm sorry, Georgia Tech has been frisky against good teams. They beat Duke. They won at Clemson. They beat North Carolina. They beat Mississippi State in uh in early non-conference too. But like, this team still won two games since Christmas. Georgia Tech is not good. We watched that game and like, yes, Wake played well offensively, but it's like Cam Hildreth always does this to, to not good teams. Cam Hildreth is always out in the open court making plays, right, and getting downhill. It's like I'm. St- as, as great as we played those two games on both ends of the floor in, in different spurts, but, like, I'm still in the same spot that I've always been with this team of, like, we are really good. We are a tournament team. Like, we have to go prove it. And, it and I, you know, we'll get to the NC State game and looking forward, but I guess all this to say is, like, the computers are saying we are a really good team. They're agreeing with what we've been – saying and what we've been hoping the on-court results and the win and losses reflect but it's like wake forest is a really good basketball team so it's you know you have a month now before the ac tournament like go prove it and don't let any opportunity slip away 
I really agree with that point on a, a couple different levels. The first, I kind of want to start at where you began, Christian, is that I think Ben and I are both in the same camp with you about the fact that, and Ben, please jump in if you disagree, but you know, watching this team in practices, watching them play Alabama in that scrimmage in the Joel, watching them play those games without Efton Reed, I'm in the same boat as you pretty much from the get-go. I felt like this was absolutely a tournament team with Efton Reed and Damari Monsanto, and that if Wake Forest did not reach the NCAA tournament this year, then that would be a severe disappointment. And so I still think that stands. I think Wake Forest is an NCAA tournament team. I think they will be an NCAA tournament team. And if they don't, if they, they kind of hold their future in their hands at this point, like it is Wake Forest journey, they will make it one way or another. And whichever way they, you know, whichever fork in the road they take, it'll either end in, you know, they did, they did something great. They made the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2017. What a huge thing for this program, for this community, et cetera. Or it'll be a massive disappointment and it'll put a lot of pressure on next season. But where I stand with the metrics, and I really like that you brought the metrics piece into this, Christian, and I saw some discourse about this on Twitter today, is how does Wake Forest take such a massive jump for beating a Georgia Tech team? A bigger jump than Clemson got last night for winning in Chapel Hill. Like that is, I think there's a metrics piece of this where the metrics are kind of just screwed up and it's value valuing those high margin wins that Wake Forest saw in the past few games. That's how you get from 41 to 25. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think the metrics are fundamentally flawed, but how I view how Ken Palm looks at Wake Forest right now. And Ken Palm is saying that Wake Forest is a top 25 team in the nation, which is kind of crazy to think about. And Torvik is saying since Efton Reed has come back, then that Wake Forest is well into the teens of best teams in the nations is I think Kempom is treating Wake Forest like the eye test, almost kind of like the eye test, not saying that that's how the metric works, but I'm saying it's almost like Wake Forest is ranked. Like you watch them play and you think they're a top 25 team and it takes out some of the results in my mind. Like it's a heavy metrics piece where it's, the, the offensive efficiency and the defensive efficiency. Wake is really strong in both of those. It's almost like there's a slight neglect of, hey, this is a team that has had some really good wins, but has also had some absolute stinkers. Like losing at FSU, which not as bad in my book, but the blowing a lead to NC State in Raleigh and blowing that lead at Pitt in Pittsburgh are both just downright really, really bad results. But Kempom, I feel like, kind of glosses over that a little bit and just takes the efficiencies into account and the eye test of a sort. And that's when Wake Forest looks like a top 25 team. And so I said this today to someone. I was talking Wake basketball with somebody today in class. Uh, shows how much I'm really, you know, taking care of my academics right now. Um, is that Wake Forest metrically is 100% an NCAA tournament team. And they look like an NCAA tournament team, everything about them except the resume. And some of that is their losses. Some of that is a lack of quad one wins and quad one opportunities. But Wake is a tournament team in the metrics. They need to catch up on their resume, which is kind of akin to what you were saying, Christian. Like, you got to go and take it. And we've said that before, Ben, that Wake Forest has the opportunity in front of them. They got to go take 
some of these opportunities, get those resume boosting wins. You get some quad one opportunities. You've got Duke at Cameron. You go to Virginia. You go to Virginia Tech. You've got Duke at home. You've got Clemson at home. You've got five games right there that are huge opportunities for this team where you can then build up your resume that backs up why the metrics love you so much. And that's what turns you into a team where they can't say no to you on selection Sunday. Right now they can definitely say no to wake forest, regardless of those metrics. They can absolutely say no to wake forest, but if you build up the resume to back up your metrics in the eye test, then that's where wake forest is sitting pretty on Sunday. And you're thinking about more seeding instead of sweating about whether you're in or you're out. Yeah, I think, you know, with metrics, I agree with both of your sentiments that I'm sort of super wary of how and where Wake Forest is placed in the metrics right now. I just I just think that, you know, I, I said it on Twitter before the game, you know, this Wake Forest team has given me whiplash in a lot of ways this year from covering them because at home a lot of times they truly look like, like you said, like a shoe-in NCAA tournament team with how well they play at home and then on the road it's almost like a completely different ball club. And I almost think that, well, so my opinion of, I think that the metrics backs is that the metrics like Wake Forest because they took care of business in all of their crappy Q4 games, won a lot of home games against bad teams by 20, 25 plus, what have you. And even their losses, the ones that have been so sort of heartbreaking to those that have been close to the program, haven't big, haven't been big you know, metrics punishing losses. You know, you lose to Carolina on the road big. That's not really a problem. You lose to NC State on the road, you know, not a huge problem metrically. Florida State on the road is, you know, has been a favorable metrics team generally and has sort of been pretty solid in league play. Those were all close games. Wake hasn't been necessarily blown out on the road by anybody that, you know, that they shouldn't have. Um so I think that's why the met- the Wake Forest has stuck around the metrics, and that is sort of the best thing. One of the best things they have going for them right now is that when they do, um, when they do, you know, win emphatically the way they have the past two games, you know, they've been rewarded big for their for their big wins and not punished in a huge way metrically for their losses, which I think has sort of allowed them to linger around and, and shoot up. And the metrics point to the you know to to where we've seen right now, but you know, the, you know, it's also possible that Wake could you know, have a, have a terrible loss at home, you know, coming up and then could shoot down the metrics. So the metrics are fickle. I think the only way, like you're saying, Essex to sort of solidify, you know, wake for a spot amongst the NCAA tournament field is to really leave no doubt. Like you guys have been saying, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, ACC three bids, ACC two bids, whatever. The real, the reality is, you know, the path is still very much there for wake Forest to decide their own fate. You know, they're, there are games out there that they should win, can win, but I think they're a good enough team. I think the, I think Wake Forest is a better team than NC State. I think they should have beaten NC State on the road. I think they're a better team than Pitt. They should have beaten Pitt on the road. And I, you know, I think Wake Forest might be a better team than Clemson. You know, that game's obviously a long time down the road, but you have opportunities to sort of take that metrics piece out of it and just build a resume that's good enough and where you're not even debating whether the metrics are good enough to back up what you've done. So, you know, it, there's still so much basketball left to be played, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm just wary sort of of the metrics in general on November 29, 2006, the first sentence on a page on Ken Palm's website called ratings explanation is he says this, the first thing you should know about this system is that it is designed to be purely predictive, right? Ken Palm is a predictive metric, which means it's trying to rank these teams on how good they are in future matchups. 
It's it's what is going to be the score. That's the reason why when Duke comes to the Joel on Saturday, February 24th, Wake is projected by Ken Palm to win that game because Ken Palm thinks we are really good. You know what I'm saying? It, it's forward-looking. The reason we're ranked that high is because that it's it's using data to to not just grade our season, but to project how well we will do against good teams, essentially, right? And this is what, you know, when I say I'm pretty even keeled after those two blowouts, even though I'm impressed, this is the key to me. Three, Four spots behind Wake is TCU, okay? TCU is a team that I love. I think they can advance in the tournament. TCU is a team that went to, to Kansas, to Fog Allen, one of the hardest places to play and deserved to win that game. If Wake went and played Kansas, and I understand that the, they're not in the Big 12, they haven't seen Kansas, but like, I don't know. I think we would probably get rinsed, okay? Do I think we are – and the reason I say that is because of, one, what's happened on the road, two, Kansas being a hard place, blah, 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 blah. The point I'm getting at here is the metrics are – the metrics having us this high speaks to how good this team can be. Flawed or not, it speaks to the fact that Wake is – a thousand percent tournament caliber, right? Like undoubtedly, you're not touching. Like I tweeted this, the la- the highest team on Ken Palm did not make the tournament last year was Rutgers at 35th. That's because they were really good defensively, like the number three defense in the country, right? And they beat Purdue, blah, blah, blah. What I'm getting at is Wake needs to, you know, play to their caliber, which they do in a lot of these games against the inferior competition or against teams like Florida and Virginia at home that are clearly good. But it's like, can... The human elements step up. Can Boopy Miller not disappear in a good game? Can Cam Hildreth make really good decisions in a big game? Can an offensive drought be withstanded by actual good defense? Not not locking up a Georgia Tech team that's not good, right? To make our defense say our defense is good. Can they step up situationally and like be really good defensively? That's what I want to know is can Wake beat really good teams? Can our guards create against really good teams? Can we make good decisions against really good teams? Can we make good decisions at the end of games on the road, right, to decide whether we win or lose? That's what this team needs to prove and what they still have not proven and why these two wins, as excited as they get me, I can only get so excited because they still need to prove that we can make adjustments late in games, right, that the coaching staff can make adjustments late in games. Like, I'm not – I love this coaching staff and think they do an awesome job, but it's like Carolina just went over and over and over and over again down our throat, and that game should not have – and as good as Carolina is, that game should not have gone out of hand as quickly as it did, right? It's like Pitt and NC State, we could not stop the bleeding. We could not find a rhythm, you know? And as great as Hunter Salas is, I still don't put him in the category of Tyree Appleby or Rolandis Williams where he can just carry a team, you know, because he's not as much of a primary ball handler. He's more of a score, right? Those guys were do-it-all, lead the ACC in points and assists, like absolute bona fide stars. And the reason I'm excited about this team is because and have been all year is because we have three guards that are really good at creating. You bring two dead-eye shooters off the bench, and you have two versatile two-way bigs that can move. And and we'll get to this when we're talking about defense, but, like, I'm happy to see us playing different coverages and, and playing high-low and really using Andrew Carr and Efton Reed because they're damn good. They're two really good players, and they can do a lot. They're versatile bigs, and, like, we haven't had that. Do you guys catch it on putting down? This team's really good, but it's like they need to be really good against really good teams, and they need to be really good at the end of games. They need to be really good on the road to prove that they actually are as good as the computers say we are and to actually get into the tournament. Yeah, my that's a good point, and something I was sort of trying to articulate earlier. I think, like, 
for wake fan like for for wake like you kind of there's a lot of like griping about the system and the metric system being flawed which it is but in a way like the metric system has been a, like a big friend to wake forest this Hello, season. yeah like, it, it might like be your biggest ally right now because wake doesn't really have that like season defining win you sort of thought it was going to be miami at home in that great game miami has kind of fallen off a little bit and is sort of middling in conference play recently that virginia win i think is going to hold up and end up being a great win to beat that virginia team by 19 with how well they've been playing but you know the like I said, you know, the, the metrics right now are absolutely Wake Forest friend. They they see how high this team's ceiling is on offense, the ability to go out and drop 100 pretty much on any given night, and to, you know, to have that stellar record at home and not, you know, have any atrocious losses on the road to, you know, getting blown out by bad teams, et cetera. But like you said that, you know, I like how you put it, the human element, you know, like can this team actually fully – you know, pass the eye test to not just a computer, but to somebody who watches the games and to to go out and just make those statement wins on the road and just beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. It's not like Wake has to be an outstanding, unbelievable team on the road. With how good they've been at home, they can afford to just be okay on the road and win the games that they're supposed to win on the road. You know, unfortunately, you have passed by some opportunities to do that, but there are still opportunities to, you know, get that job done down the stretch. I think Wake can go on the road and beat a Virginia Tech or Virginia potentially. It's just you gotta, you know, the metrics part right that right now for Wake Forest is there, which I think is a huge advantage to this team down the stretch. Because I think maybe if you get those one or two like campaign defining wins, then like the path to the tournament, the path to the tournament becomes much more clear. I'm with you because I'm actually both with you and and with Christian in that human element aspect, and I think that was. Similar to what you were saying, Ben, what I was trying to get into a little bit earlier with those five opportunities I mentioned before coming up, having Duke twice, having Virginia, Virginia Tech, Clemson, is Wake Forest really doesn't, you're right, have that season-defining win yet. If you cut the season off right here, yeah, you probably say it's Virginia. But even right now, that's not a quad one win. Maybe it, it probably will become one, but it's not a quad one win. Wake Forest doesn't have a big win. They don't have anything except a, a stellar home record and good metrics to present to the committee right now and no bad losses, no quad three or quad four losses. That's kind of your story. You can make that story a whole lot better with those big wins, the human element wins. Like say on Monday night, Wake Forest goes to Cameron indoor and you're up like say six points with six minutes to go. Like how do you find a way to win that game? Wake Forest has been in that position in far less daunting environments and has not found a way to win. But say you go into Cameron Indoor, you go into the JPJ up in Charlottesville, another place where it seems like there are ghosts inside that building that help UVA win ball games. Same with Cameron Indoor and Duke. Like, how do you come out of that place with a win? People can do it. Pitt did it in Cameron. Like, how how do you find a way to win games? And how do, we, do you find a way to get season-defining wins that give you the resume to back up your metrics to make it impossible for the committee to screw you over. So that's, I think where it, it kind of lies for wake forest. And it, it is, I don't think wake forest can tank their season at this juncture with those five games. Like if you lose at Notre Dame or you lose when Pitt comes to the Joel, things like that, you can really screw things up. But I think there's opportunity, boundless opportunities to vastly improve your standing 
Like that's where Wake Forest, you can either find yourself in a few weeks really sitting on the bubble and sweating the ACC tournament in D.C. or sweating Selection Sunday, or you can pick up a few of these with that human element that Christian talked about. And finally, kind of proving something where you haven't necessarily proved anything yet and go get one or two of these that make your standing just a whole lot better. Let's there's just a couple. There's three things I actually quickly want to discuss in regards to the Georgia tech Syracuse games. The first is, is a player that Christian mentioned a while ago is Cameron Hildreth and cam had, I mean, it was a struggle. It was a struggle for real with that wrist injury, which I believe cropped up in that loss at NC state near the end of that game. He had been wearing a brace for a while It was clearly impacting his game, his ability to handle the ball, his ability to shoot pretty much everything on offense. Like Cam was, he was really going through it for a while. And then against Syracuse, he popped off. He, he lost the brace. He shoots five for seven from the field for 13 points and gets 12 rebounds for a double, double last night in Atlanta. Cam Hildreth leads Wake Forest with 17 points, five of eight from the field, a perfect seven to seven from the free throw line after going two of six, the charity stripe against Syracuse. So his free throws got better too. Seems like Cam Hildreth has found again, a a, a new version of himself. I tweeted this a while or yesterday, I believe that Cam Hildreth found a new version of himself. And that was the pre-injury self where we've talked about hero ball that he's not trying to play hero ball on offense. He's making responsible drives and decisions with the basketball and using his, a lot of his skill. He's a very skilled player, but making some of the right decisions where he's getting himself more high percentage looks, high percentage shots, and just playing overall better basketball. He's a gritty defender. He's a good rebounder. He's got a lot of tools, but he turns himself into a very dangerous player when those tools are utilized correctly, when he kind of, goes unchecked and just starts going like buck wild on the court, things can get a little crazy very quickly for, for Cam. And I think he's really figured that out in the past two games. He's been just so much better. I think it does so much for, for wake to have him on the defensive end, but that improved play on the offensive end. Cam Eldreth is at his best when he is very sharp and decisive when he gets the ball. That's what I saw a lot against Georgia Tech last night, you know, catching the ball in transition, making a direct move towards the hoop, getting fouled, going to the line. That is when he's at his best. That's when he's hard to defend. Him adding the three-point element to his game this year, sort of prior to that wrist injury popping up, made him way more difficult to defend. I think made Wake as a whole much more difficult to game plan for. I think with that wrist injury, it sort of limited his arsenal on offense. We talked about this before a little bit. But I think he's sort of coming into, you know, finding back into his identity because, you know, we've talked about when Cam Hildreth struggles, it's him just trying to do like a little bit too much, get too deep onto the basket, maybe lose track of where he is on the court a little bit. He has a penchant for making, you know, several turnovers in a short period of time. But I think, you know, last night I'm, you know, drawing a blank on what his exact stat line was last night but he played a very good very efficient game he was a plus 30 last night you know highest on the team so that's certainly encouraging to see and he took five of eight shots seven to seven from the foul line that is the kind of game that you want to have cam hildreth playing right now the kind of basketball that you want to see him playing he only took one three-point shot right now he doesn't need to be making a bunch of threes and wake didn't rely on the three to win that game and you know like we said georgia tech is not the best defensive or offensive team in the league but i think 
Cam Hildreth sort of rediscovering and embracing his role within the offense with however limited he may or may not be. I do think he looks better. I do think the, the wrist looks better out there than it did. It looked like he was really hindered against NC State and a couple of the or sorry, North Carolina and a couple of the previous games before that. But I think he was a big part of, you know, the win last night. He got them going early and was just sort of a consistent, um, you know, player throughout the game. And I think Cam Hildreth really does need to be at his best for this Wake Forest team to sort of unlock their potential down the stretch. Definitely encouraging that he's you he looked better with the wrist last game. The seven for seven free throws is a huge sign because he went two for six against Syracuse. He was shooting like 90% earlier in the year. So, you know, two for six, if you're a 90% shooter and you have a wrist injury, you know, pretty easy to make that connection there. So seven for seven, I don't think he's, you know, I don't know if he's on a new drug or something or there's a new treatment, but like, you know, he's probably still in pain, right? He's just learning how to better handle it. I don't, because it's a surgery. <laughs> I'm serious. Though. Like if, if this is a surgery required injury, and he just looks better now. It's like he's either one more comfortable with it or two, he's treating it differently. Like it's not like the pain is just going to be gone or that the injury is fixed. Like, cause it's clearly not. Um, he's, he's obviously tough enough to play through it and he can still, you know, get to the basket and defend while doing it. Right. Um, but kind of a similar theme. I've been at this whole podcast, like, I didn't see anything from Cameron Hildreth that I hadn't seen. You know, we know what this guy can do. Like, and I understand it's exciting because of the injury, and, but I don't know. I'm still a little nervous about the fact that this team definitely was more dangerous when he was shooting 40% from deep. I didn't believe it to be real, uh, but he's three for 18 since the injury. And that definitely, you know, that you're taking away one less. And obviously you have Friedrichson and Monsanto. Like this team isn't lacking three point shooters. Um, and, okay, sorry. My my tone was a little off there. Like, it's great to see the way that he competed and played in those last two games, regardless of the of the of the competition. Like, because he's clearly Forbes is going to keep playing in with this injury. Uh, to see him look more comfortable with it is massive because obviously it's better to have him out there uh, than to not. You know. Uh, but yeah, like I said, against a good team, will Cam be able to get to the basket like this? Like against a good team, will he still be able to to play at a good pace? and uh you know make good decisions so we'll see but obviously i didn't i didn't i didn't mean to send the wrong message there it's definitely it's definitely good to see him uh you know looking to handle the handle the injury better i think you're i think you're fair in that christian like i think and it kind of goes for wake for us all together in the past two games yes everything that's happened is super fantastic like round of applause all that jazz but like does it carry over does it carry over when you play a, a solid team like NC state and really good teams like Duke and Virginia after NC state, like does that Cameron Hildreth that seems like he's turned a huge corner carry over or does it kind of revert back? Does wake forest who seemingly has turned a corner continue down that path or revert back? It's it, I think it's a whole thing and we're like all of it's just going to be like us playing a guessing game until we see it on Saturday. But yes, and where I kind of do push back on you a little bit, and you kind of you, you switch things up a little bit there at the end. But I think it's regardless of competition, the fact that you have Cam Hildreth showing mm-hmm. that he can do that now off that injury, I think is just yeah. really big. I mean, he's never he's not. I highly doubt he's going to shoot threes again like he did at the beginning of the season. But just based on what we've seen with his injury, like as Ben said, you don't want him shooting the threes. You've got guys who can do that. 
and B, like I just don't think it's in his arsenal anymore, no matter how improved he was at shooting five threes game. in the win against Miami. Like imagine yeah, if I told great. you that last year. Yeah, he was he was fantastic. Um and they were in fantastic fashion too. He hit like four oh, yeah. in like a five minute period. I remember I was in you know in attendance for that game. That was a fun one. But just having a cam that A is making big plays, but B for me is also not bringing some of the mistakes that can tarnish his game a little bit at times. Like the turnovers, especially when you get a little sped up, you start making some some interesting decisions with the ball. Taking that element out of Cam's game and replacing it with servable, serviceable offense and his defensive acumen as well is a huge boost to Wake Forest and what they need right now. You've got guys who can get it done on offense. You need a defensive player like Cam who can really test a guard. And you need a guy like him who can drive to the hoop when it's open and get a layup, which he's been doing, which he did against Syracuse and Georgia Tech. That's the kind of Cam Hildreth you need. And so I think we'll see against NC State, as you said, Christian, I give you credit for that. Like You got to see if it carries over. So I think that's fair. But having him the way he's been against Syracuse and Georgia Tech is a massive improvement from what we saw at the end of the NC State game and those games afterwards. The second thing I wanted to bring up quickly from the game is the the blitz versus the drop all season long. And I, I'm sure we'll, we'll have to cap this at some point because we could have a whole podcast on this whole idea. I know, Christian. Um, but all season long, Wake Forest has seemingly been running that drop coverage. Steve Forbes has talked about it a lot. Um, we brought it up. Christian, you've brought it up in, in a tweet. And, and I brought it up both on the podcast, on Twitter and stories, what have you. Um, about the drop coverage, R.J. Davis kind of just found holes in Wake Forest defense to go off for all the points he got against the Deeks in Chapel Hill. D.J. Horn did it against Wake in Raleigh, and then they switch it up. Wake Forest has been doing that drop coverage all season, and then against Syracuse, and then especially against Georgia Tech, you see the blitz. And then it's like Wake Forest defense just kind of pops off. And so... A, the benefits of, of running that, that blitz for, versus drop. Christian, I know you're far well versed than I am at, at describing these kind of things, so I'd love your take on it. But also just is this kind of a, a switch up for this Wake Forest defensive scheme, or do you think this is something we see potentially going forward this season? Um, Yeah, so one thing that also Forbes has said in the press conferences, which is an important distinction that – I haven't written about, I don't know if we've discussed it is it's not just getting, it's not that like getting away from it's a, it's a small adjustment to the drop. It's not deep dropping. It's, it's staying a bit higher if that makes sense. Right. So like as the guard, the, the, the ball screen is set and as Hunter, as Boopy chase over uh, the screen to, so that the guard, you know, you go under if the guy can't shoot, right? It's like, that's why if it's like it's Elliot Cadeau or something, maybe you can go under. And it's like, if you want to hide behind the screen and take a three, like we'll live with that. But okay. When we're chasing over these, these screens and the big is dropping off when Efton, when Carr, when March is dropping off, uh, that gives the guard space to attack. And, and the idea behind that is to make the guard have to pull up for a mid range jumper or a floater, take a tough two. And to stay home to the shooters on the outside, so that you're not bringing in a bunch of help once Davis, once RJ Davis or a guard turns the corner, it's that uh, 
you're staying home and making him score over Efton Reed, right? The problem was Efton Reed was dropping so far back that these guards had too much space to make a play, right? And we saw that happen and we saw no adjustment be made. And then we've seen in these last two games, depending on the personnel, Wake has changed how they've played the screen. And when we have gone to the drop, we haven't been dropping off as deep. Because at the end of the day, Efton Reed can move his feet. I'm not going to say the same thing about Matthew Marsh, who has given good minutes lately. I'm not trying to disrespect him. I've been very happy. Uh, Aaron Roundtree had a nice tweet about, you know, it's hard. The emotional side of, like, not playing at all to, like, needing to be ready to, like, go really hard for eight minutes and not mess up. Like, he's done an awesome job at that. So shout out Matthew Marsh. But he is not as capable as a defender, as an athlete, as Efton Reed. Obviously, that's not breaking news. Point is, Efton Reed is can really move his feet as can Andrew Carr. So it's like he is capable of stepping up a little bit and not getting absolutely torched by these guards, right? It's not like if Efton Reed comes up to like the, the free throw line a little bit higher, you know, free throw line extended that that every guard can just turn the corner and get all the way to the basket on him. He's a good shot blocker too. Like like he can move. So that adjustment has been really good in the drop. But then uh, with these ball handlers that love to get downhill, like a Judah Mintz and uh, Miles Kelly, oh, Miles Kelly can really shoot it. But the point is against those guys, what we were doing was either one blitzing, which is when you're throwing Efton Reed there, the, the five man to, to make the guard give up his dribble, to pick up the ball. And if there's two guys on the ball, that means someone's open. And then it's trusting your rotations, right? Which have been very sharp for Wake, which is, you know, this team is connected defensively. That's why, you know, we're 44th on Kempom defense, partly, right? It's like this team is connected defensively. They play well together. These guys like each other. They have good chemistry. They're well coached. So it's trusting that defensive rotation and, and making the team have to make a couple really nice either ball fakes, pump fakes, uh, and drives to find that open guy. Um, and then there's the hard hedge, which is it's not a full blitz. You're not trying to – you're just trying to push him out, right? So so Efton Reed is trying to not pick up a blocking foul, you know, and not bump him too much with his body, but basically make it hard for him to just turn the corner. Because in the drop, you're letting the guard go, right? And, and Salas or whoever is is on his the guard's back chasing to try and recover to him but if the guard holds him off he can he can get what he wants i know it might be hard i wish i had like a visual representation i know you guys have watched enough to understand what i'm saying just for the podcast listeners out there i don't know if i'm doing as good of a job because i see a basketball court in my mind and i've got one pull up on my computer right now but all that being said whether it's a hard hedge whether it's a blitz or whether it's a drop the 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 fact that one we're not doing drop every single time and two the fact that the drop is higher and we're trusting Efton reed and andrew carr to be able to stay with these guards and you know, that type of versatility is something this team is capable of, clearly, based on the personnel. And it's something that, you know, it's scouting based on the player in the ball screen. We're going to guard them differently. And then it's like, do you want to throw different looks at guys during the game? Or is it just you're throwing different? You have one look for each guy. Like, we'll see how it transpires. But, like, I think Forbes took an opportunity, you know, to try new things in these games based on what happened against UNC specifically, but also Pitt to an extent. And um, it's worked out great. And uh it's awesome to see because we know what this team can do offensively and how they can light it up from three so you know if if they can be a versatile defensive team that's tough to score on that's a combo for the metrics loving you and you're seeing that yeah i i like the point you make about wake's athleticism because i do think especially on defense and with how well they play together like you said they can get away with sort of trying you know, a multitude of different things in the pick and roll with how athletic their guards are. Boopy Miller's incredibly quick. Hunter Salas is quick and has great length. You, like you said, Efton Reed can move his feet. Andrew Carr is an athletic sort of stretch for a big man. You have enough 
you know, versatility out there to make those kinds of adjustments based on who you're playing against and to get away, I think, with blitzing and being aggressive against other teams' guards because you have some guards that can really force some turnovers. And Wake plays a much better game when they're threatening to get steals and fast break points and playing sort of a fast but under-control brand of basketball. So I really like to see that adjustment from Steve Forbes and the coaching staff, which is just like to let your guys be your guys and just like, you know, play aggressive, fly around the court, trust that the guys behind you are going to have your back and rotate well, which they really have been in the past couple of games and have really sort of, you know, come into their own and and had really, really strong defensive performances from start to finish. And, you know, you're right. Like you talked about, like, obviously the Carolina game was really tough defensively to watch, especially in that second half. Steve Forbes talked a lot about how sort of their defensive transition broke down. They let Carolina's athletes, whether it was Cadeau or whether it was RJ Davis, sort of just get out ahead of them. And they're really struggling to set up their half court defense. And then, you know, in the couple of games before that, like North Carolina state, on the road did not make a three against wake forest which i know was sort of that was sort of by design it was like wake was going to chase guys off the three-point line at all costs c forbes really did not want to get beat by giving up you know 18 threes in a game the way they lost to Pitt last year so that was an adjustment that was made but what you saw that you know the price that came with that was wake gave up 50 points in the paint to nc state and they gave up 48 points in the paint to i think carolina so giving up almost 100 points in the paint between those two games you know, it was time for something to make an adjustment. And, you know, that adjustment, it appears right now to have been made and to, be, to have been made effectively. I'm really curious to see what it looks, what happens on Saturday when NC State comes to town and sort of how they address, um, you know, the pick and roll there because NC State has some some veteran quick guards. DJ Horn's very quick. Casey Marcel's a good, you know, um, scoring guard that can shoot the three. But, you know, I like the change that it's been made. And I think this team is playing like with a lot more cohesion and consistency throughout the entire game defensively, especially over the last couple. And that was what you didn't really see in, um, that's what you didn't see in some of Wake's tough road losses was like Wake would do a great job in the first half and they would hold, you know, these teams to low shooting percentages. But then teams would sort of figure it out. And then the shooting percentages would go up. Teams would have better opportunities to be, you know, getting the free throw line more. So I think, you know, the, the pieces are there for for Wake to make a long-term, like, lasting adjustment that can really help them throughout the course of the season just to let them be versatile on defense, be less, you know, predictable on defense, and really be able to shut some some good teams down on that end of the floor. Before we get into NC State, I just want to make one final point. On that blitzing, A, number one, I am, I am pro-blitz. I think you said it correctly, Ben, I think it was time for Wake Forest to switch something up defensively, get a few different looks out there. But I also think that comes with the caveat, which you mentioned, Christian. Like, I wasn't a huge fan of seemingly, from what I've gathered from watching the games, Wake Forest was hard stop, a drop team. Like, there was no kind of switching it up, different looks. And now, kind of based on what you're saying, and we saw it against Georgia Tech, it was a little bit more personnel-based. Like, Wake Forest isn't a, or at least in the past few games, hasn't been a hard drop or a hard blitz. Like you're either doing one or, you know, one or the other, nothing else. Like you're kind of getting a little bit of everything. You're getting some of those, a li- you know, a higher drop, which I think is big. You're not dropping basically under the hoop, which is giving those mid range floaters just all the room in the world you want to shoot the ball. But you're also getting some blitzes in and you're getting some of those hedges in as well, which you've seen out of Efton. Just rolling out a bunch of different looks and not letting a guard think that they're going to have something every time they get a pick and allow them to get hot from that, which is what I want to talk about with NC State now and what DJ Horn did to Wake Forest in the second half, was that you gave DJ Horn the same look every time on offense 
just about for the entire second half, which was he was able to run that pick game and get floaters off of the Wake Forest drop coverage. Like it felt like he got a couple of those. And I know there's some there's some time that's happened in between that games, but it, it really did feel like DJ Horn was kind of having everything he wanted off of that pick game because of Wake Forest drop coverage. And so now the question is, what does Wake Forest do this time around against NC State? It's one of the teams that you get to see twice. And so how do you stop a team that, you know, looking back at, at that game, Wake Forest goes into halftime with a 45-35 lead, and then they're outscored 48-31 in the second half. You have all that that BS at the end with the the, the technical fouls and what happened to Hunter Salas and all, and all that, which I don't think is really worth getting into again. But you have a, a DJ Horn that scores 21 points and then has 10 in the second half on 4-10 shooting, but seemingly kind of got everything he wanted going once he got into the paint, the inside, especially at the end of the game. You had Ben Middlebrook score 12 points in the second half on 4 His, four, his career high is 14, and he got it. Yeah, he got four, 14, and right before he fouled out. Um, but NC State got a lot of what they wanted offensively in the second half, and that was combined with a Wake Forest offense that fell apart in the second half, shot 33% in the second half after shooting 53% in the first, it's, it's a matter of what Wake Forest does to change the script this time around in the Joel a revenge game. You've got players like DJ Horn for NC state. You've got DJ Burns. You've got Casey Morsell, a whole list of players who are really good. And before I kick it over to you guys, there's the first thing I actually want to discuss about NC state is what just happened. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. It is late Wednesday night. Um, but before we hopped on the podcast here, NC State lost to Pitt at home in Raleigh. It was not a good game for the for the Wolfpack. Uh, I have the statistics here. They shot fine, honestly, forty six percent from the field, thirty three percent from three. But it just it just never really felt like it was their game. They got outscored thirty eight thirty in the first half. Um, and couldn't find a way to come back in the second. You let a guy like like Lowe, who is really, really good, go off for 20. Blake Henson went off for 16. And almost half of NC State's points came off of DJ Horn, who I think is the guy to watch against Wake Forest. Like, I think DJ Horn's their guy. He got 25 points. DJ Burns got 19. I think those are the two guys to watch. But the question is, for NC State, we kind of were debating this before we hopped on the pod, is this a good thing for Wake Forest and NC State lost this game? You know, it's the debate is now in air that, you know, NC State is that same kind of Wake Forest vibe where you're skirting along the bubble. I'd say Wake is closer to the bubble or getting in off the bubble than NC State was. But they, they kind of get themselves in some trouble here with this loss. And how does this affect how they come into the Joel on Saturday versus what Wake Forest surely wants to do to NC State after that loss in Raleigh earlier this year? Yeah, um, you know, interestingly enough, just like looking at Wake and NC State matchups over the past two seasons, it's just been a team that Wake, for one reason or another, just really has struggled to get the job done against and to just play a complete basketball game against. Obviously, you know, last year, I think DJ Burns put up 30, I believe, in Winston-Salem in that game. So you had that sort of storyline from that one. And then the second game was obviously just a really tough one with Damari Monsanto going down in Raleigh and then Wake sort of sort of the wheels falling off for Wake Forest in that second half. And then earlier this year, you have another 
just really wild back and forth game with all the the technical fouls and everything like that. So, you know, in answer to your question, as it's about tonight's outcome, having an impact on Saturday's game, I really don't anticipate one way or the other. Um, it having a huge impact on the outcome of Saturday's game. I think an in-state rivalry game, I think both teams will be up for it. I don't think that is going to be a problem. And I wouldn't expect state to sort of fall, you know, for the wheels to fall off because they, they lost to a pit team that is strangely really good on the road in conference play. Um, but I do think, you know, there's, there's a couple of things we've talked about all podcasts long. I think the adjustment in the pick and roll coverage is going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. You have to limit DJ horns production. I agree with that. I think the faster Wake Forest plays in this game, the more advantageous it is to them because Essex, you and I were, you know, in PNC watching uh, NC State take on Miami the other week. And, you know, DJ Burns was a total non-factor in that game. Miami plays a very, you know, fast brand of basketball. DJ Burns only played 13 minutes in that game. Really wasn't getting anything he wanted. So I think, you know, DJ Burns didn't necessarily have a fantastic game against Wake Forest the first time. I think he only had 10 points, but... I think, you know, for Wake to to really get what they want in this game, they got to play fast and under control. And, you know, you can sort of limit DJ Burns' production in that way. And then also, yeah, you have to find a way to to sort of put the cap on how well NC State's seen, like, you know, veteran guards can can score. Because on, on paper, this NC State team doesn't do a whole lot of te- things like outstanding. They have a really good turnover margin. I think they're second in the ACC in turnover margin. They're top four top five in offensive rebounding, but seventh in scoring, seventh in total defense. They can beat you just sort of by being more consistent and being the older and better and more cohesive team. And, you know, they're pretty deep. They don't really play anybody more than about 32 minutes a game, which is in contrast to Wake Forest. And I think an area where Wake Forest struggled last time against NC State was Efton Reed fouled out, Andrew Carr fouled out by the end of that game. NC State, you know, goes deeper into their bench than Wake Forest. So I think, you know, the Deeks have to stay out of foul trouble. Efton Reed has to stay out there on the court and be vo- and you know be on the floor deep into the game for this team in order to wait for Wake to come away with the win. I expect Wake to have a little bit more of a boost in this one playing at home, you know, in what should be, you know, after the momentum gathered by the last couple wins, it should be a great crowd. I fully expect it to be a great crowd and for Wake to get sort of a boost off of that the way they have all year. But I think there's a lot of factors. I think clear areas where Steve Forbes and the staff can adjust from the last time out against NC State that'll will give them a little bit better shot this time around. So, Ben, you brought back the NC State has kind of owned us, right? Uh, the Damari game got out of hand when he got – that was just so devastating. And then just the, the – at, at the time of the DJ Burns game last year, we still had tournament hopes right? Like we had, we had gotten some good wins to that point. Like we'd won at Wisconsin. I'm pretty sure that was after we'd beaten either Duke or Carolina at home, but um, yeah, that one sucked. I'm pretty sure that was like the most devastating loss last year. And I know you said DJ Horn's the guy to watch Essex. And I understand that there's some games where Burns is not a factor, but like that dude is a problem. And like, there are just certain games where, where he is a factor. And, and tonight was one of them. He had, I think 21 and uh, when Pitt finally brought a double, it was like deja vu of Wake, right? They finally throw a double at him because they're tired of him scoring one-on-one. Boom, 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 corner three. And we saw Forbes. This was kind of the first time we – this this um, this word I want to use was the, the stubbornness to not double DJ Burns when the entire Joel was yelling double him when he was eating. And Forbes was like, no, I don't want to. And then he doubled him, and look what, and he's like, look what happened. That's why I wasn't doubling. You know, that was that was stubborn that I understood uh, versus – thank you, Carolina. But – Hey, that all aside, um, 
if this is a DJ Burns game, which you know you can sometimes it's not like a, what last game against NC State was not a DJ Burns game. He had ten against us, I think. Um, their their bench killed us, right? Like Middlebrooks killed us. Um, also, quick insane stat about DJ Burns. This dude takes ten shots a game. He's taken at least ten shots a game three straight years. He's never averaged more than two point six free throws. He's not trying to get to the line for a big dude that plays in the post and is banging and takes that many shots. He never gets to the line, which is crazy. And it's because he uses his big boy frame and flips it up and does creative things. He's fading like he's I appreciate him because I know Wake fans can't stand him. Like I appreciate him because he's such a unique player. Um, OK, but yeah, Efton Reed can do a good job on him. Um, and I think the reason he doesn't play against Miami like you guys were there, maybe maybe you can attest this better than I can is because Norchad was just a really, because the way they, they spaced the floor, like it was just really hard for him to stay with Norchad defensively. Like I know there was a thread uh, when Carolina went to NC state and beat their ass. It was because uh, Carol Cadeau and Davis were just going nuts. So on him, like Burns just had no clue what to do defensively. So if weight can make it really hard for DJ to stay on the floor, I think that's a huge advantage. I would way rather play NC state without him because when he is out there and they're playing through him, like every, like Keats will do it every time. He'll go to him, go to him, go to him, go to him. If you're not going to stop him. And if he's in rhythm and he's getting his buckets and like, that's what scares you on NC state. If NC state comes to our building in a game that we're going to be nine point favorites in and beats us without DJ Burns, having DJ Burns game, we're going to have to play really bad. In my opinion, I don't like, we're going to be nine point favorites in this game. And um, yeah, I don't think that these guards are going to shoot super well. And, and, you know, play way better than our guards on our home court based on how we played at home. The thing that scares me about NC State is if they find a way to make it a DJ Burns game. And if, you know, we get Efton in trouble and then all of a sudden Matt Marsh is playing 20 minutes and we don't know if we should double him or not. Like, so he like, so yeah, he gets tired often and he can get exposed defensively and Keats is weird about when he uses them. Uh, but man, he's getting back into a building where he had 31 last time he was there. Like, He's a confident dude. He was talking shit. I remember him and Damari like got double texts. I think, you know, it's going to be chippy. And we, and, you know, Forbes and the staff are really going to want this one, obviously, because of the implication or whatever. But like, of course, there's another added edge of a team we play twice a year that's beaten us three times in a row. So, um, you know, it would be nice if we could just hit some shots early, like break it open and not let it be a game where they can like slow it down and play through DJ. I think uh, there's a very high chance that it goes that way. And we kind of cruise. We're on cruise control. And, we're playing at a pace that, as you kind of said, Ben, like it's it's more comfortable and he can't really stay on. But I'll never be, you know, there's always just a little scary element when there's a guy like that on a team that can, that can, you know, completely dominate and and make you have to change everything to stop him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Is on a couple points. Um, first, with you, Ben, uh, just quickly backtracking to the the crowd. Um, and I say this not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it, it was a member of the Wake Forest staff, Mike Muse, who tweeted this today, that like Wake is looking at a potential sellout here for Saturday night, and Wake seldom sells out the jolt. Um, like, this crowd has the potential to absolutely go bonkers uh, for this team. And the student section, which was great for the Syracuse game, from what I've heard, um, they're going to absolutely just go go nuts on DJ Burns. Like, you know it. Like, <laughs> I remember last year in that game, for better or worse, sometimes I think crowds can, like student sections, can push a player to play better. 
Like I remember what Quentin posted for Boston College at Wake Forest last year. I think part of that was fueled by the student section um, and just the crowd and kind of their apathy towards him. But they're going to go nuts on DJ Burns. And just on the point of DJ Burns, A, I really like his game. Um, I remember a, a commentator referred to him as a dancing bear um, it, it, in regards to his game. And I thought that was a really nice characterization because he is he's a big player like a bear. But he dances around the court and makes tricks almost like a like a circus bear, like with his shots that are unbelievable. He is such a skilled player. I, he is a joy to watch. He, he is just he is such a different player than just about anyone you're going to else you're going to watch in college basketball. And it is a joy to watch him play. So with that being said, just because Wake Forest shut him down in Raleigh, I agree with you, Christian. That doesn't mean it's a given that it's going to happen again in Winston-Salem. Like he did it last year. And that was against Matthew Marsh versus Efton Reed, that whole conversation. But he, the, the kid's a player. He can go off. Um, and so to what you said, Ben, a huge key, and I think this is a good time for us to get into keys to the game, is going to be that foul trouble. Like Efton cannot get into foul trouble early. And now with what Matthew Marsh has done, and Steve Forbes has kind of showed this a little bit, is that if Efton gets one early, or even if he doesn't, he's stealing a few minutes with Matthew Marsh. He's been doing that in the past few games where you get Matthew in there early, get two or three minutes, steal some for Efton Reed. You're especially going to have to do that if Efton gets one early, but Efton cannot get into foul trouble. He cannot get into foul trouble like he did at NC State. You can't get Andrew Carr into foul trouble. Hell, anyone can, like, just don't get into foul trouble in this game. Like, that's that's a big thing for me, and especially on DJ Burns, because as you said, Christian, that that is a big difference. All the, the, you know, cheers to Matthew Marsh and everything he's done. I think he's been fantastic. But there's a market difference when you have Matthew Marsh guarding DJ Burns against or versus Efton Reed guarding DJ Burns. I, I just think that's kind of a given. So get out of foul trouble. That just can't happen. But DJ Burns is certainly a player you got to watch in my mind. And I'll give my second key and then I'll kick it over to you guys. Um, is again that blitz? It, it's not even a blitz. Or I mean, uh, sorry, it's not even a key. It's more of a question. And it's the blitz or to not blitz. And so where I kind of was starting off earlier in this podcast when I was talking about the Blitz, it specifically in my mind applies to DJ Horn. And it applies, I mean, it applies to all the NC State guards, but for me, it's DJ Horn. And it's because of what they did in the second half to Wake Forest. It was that pick game that was opening up high percentage shots, floaters in the interior. And that's how kind of NC State dissected Wake Forest in the second half defensively. I'm very interested to see what Steve Forbes BJ Mackey, all of the staff members for Wake Forest, especially the ones who run the defense, kind of draw up for this game. Because I think it would be good if you have some of those hedges and you have some of those blitzes to cut off NC State's guards when they're on that pick game. It opens you up for the three-point issue, which is a whole other issue, and that potentially they could hit them. But I'm interested if you can run a few different sets of blitzes and hedges to throw that offense off a little bit differently than when you were playing in Raleigh and they kind of had their way with the world in the second half off that pick game. So that's my, my two big things is, is the no fouls or cutting down on the fouls, but it's also that to blitz or to not blitz. That's the question and, and how you play that game. Cause I think it's going to be critical to the success of Wake Forest defense. Yeah. Six, I like your, your point about the fouls. Cause in the, you know, in that last game, Wake Forest starting lineup combined for, 21 fouls <laughs> out of the 25 that they were allotted. So, you know, not, you know, I, I think I said Efton Reed and Andrew Carr both fouled out. Andrew Carr had a fantastic game, which I'll get to here in a second. 
And then Hildreth and Salas both had four apiece, and Booby Miller had three. So, yes, need this Wake Forest team to figure out how to defend a little bit better without fouling against NC State. Obviously, DJ Burns is a huge part of that conversation. Um, can Efton Reed be out there and shut down DJ Burns without getting into foul trouble, picking up cheap fouls, and just being out there on the floor? Because his presence makes this team so much better on both ends. He demands a lot of attention. He's a really good passer out of the post, opens up so much on the perimeter on offense, and then, you know, is a great rim protector, just presence in the paint on defense. My key to the game is that, is, you know, switching gears a little bit, I need more out of the Wake Forest guards than they gave last time out against NC State. It was not the, the backcourt's best performance. Boopy Miller went three for 12 from the field, had six turnovers. Granted, he did go 15 to 15 from the free throw line feel compelled to put that in there. <laughs> Even so, Cam Hildreth, three of 13, six points. Hunter Salas, four for, four for nine, four fouls. Not the sort of impact that I'm sure he wanted to leave on that game. And like you said, you know, NC State's guards really found some success against Wake Forest defense. So I need Wake Forest guards to put on a better showing and, you know, win the battle with NC State's backcourts on both ends of the floor. You got to figure out the right combination of defending those guys in the pick and roll, limiting their shooters. DJ Horn's having a really good year shooting the ball from the three-point line. You got to find a way to limit them. If you're Cam Hildreth, you got to keep up with what we just talked about, Georgia Tech, finding ways to get to the rack, get to the free throw line. That's where you eat. That's where you've been eating all year. That's where you have been able to contribute even, you know, without the three-point shot going the way you wanted with whatever you know pain you might be in with the wrist. Hunter Salas, I think this could I think this could be a game that Hunter Salas could really you know dominate offensively. He's been so good in, in so many games this year. I really would love to see him just sort of come out and put together that consistent wire-to-wire effort that Wake Forest has seen in some of their bigger wins. And then for Boopy Miller, you really just need him for as much as he handles the ball, you need him to just not turn it over six times. You just need him to control that you know i think wake had 17 turnovers in the last time they faced nc state you just need him to be a little bit more consistent with the ball you know in his hands with the offense running through him Did a lot of great things against nc state like i said was pretty much tasked with putting the offense on his back down the stretch when things were not going well for wake forest obviously andrew carr had a great game too but a lot of that ball handling responsibility fell onto boopy miller so i just i think for wake to have a better chance of winning this game you need those three to sort of have a more efficient output collectively Quickly, before you go, Christian, I just want to add on one little thing to what you were talking about, Ben, and it was something I was thinking about earlier in the day when I was thinking about the podcast, and it applies heavily to the guards, and it applies heavily to how Wake Forest played in that previous game against NC State. It's ball movement. That's a huge piece of how Wake Forest offense performs. It's like if the ball gets sticky and they start – you know, not getting the ball moving around or they they try and kind of play that hero ball. It's a phrase I use all the time, the hero ball. That's where Wake Forest most of the time seems to get into trouble. And so it does revolve a lot on the guards, Ben. I think that there has to be a consistent effort to ball movement because I think that's how Wake Forest is able to dissect some of these defenses and that's how they get up good shots. Sure, driving to the hoop works sometimes and, and Wake Forest is able to get buckets and shots off of driving to the hoop. But a lot of times these bigs are just crashing on them. You even saw it against Georgia tech. Um, And so, and that's what you didn't see in the second half against NC state wake force offense died because they stopped moving the ball. And so in this game, I think you just have to be really, really 
in tune with the ball movement, make sure it's a concerted effort and make sure it's a consistent effort to move the ball. Cause I think that's how wake forest offense hits a high level and how they avoid completely dying, which affects the rest of their game. Yeah. Good points, guys. A couple uh, quickly to add. So, so ask us when you're talking about what, what coverage are we going to throw on DJ horn? Um, and then Ben, when you were talking about just the fact that Forbes said you didn't want to get beat by the three, and then we proceeded to get a lot of 50 points in the paint and they shot O of eight from three, like just real quick context on NC state. Like they don't, they're not that much of a three point shooting team. Like they, they take um real quick. Let me just make sure my numbers, right? Okay. They are 249th in the nation in three point attempts per field goal attempt. And they're shooting 32.9% from deep. That's not very good. Um, and then you look at their personnel. DJ Horn's been shooting really well this year. He's shooting 42% from deep. Morcel's been in a slump. He's shooting 29%, but we know what he can do. He shot 41%. He's still not a guy you want to be taking threes. But then outside of them, it's like James Taylor's fine. He shoots 32%, but like no one else is really that much of a threat, right? So like when you're dropping off and you're making it a two-man game with DJ Horn, like that's one that kind of suits him well. To, and then two, like if you blitz him and get it out of his hands, if you blitz him, he's not able to create off the bounce and like take a three, right? Like create a, create his own shot. It's like if you're getting the ball out of his hands, I would rather make someone other than D- – look, if NC State comes on the road and someone other than DJ Horn, if one of the non-DJs beats us, you live with that, right? I don't think that's going to happen. Like I just don't think any of these other guys can really beat Wake. I think they have two guys that can, and it's like how can you make DJ Horn not beat you? Uh, you don't give him all the space in the world to go get downhill. And how do you make DJ Burns not beat you? You stay out of foul trouble. You play him off the court with what you do with him on the other end of the floor. And then when he is, uh, I don't know whether you want to double or trust Efton, you know. You have Efton Reed. I just knew, yeah, you have Efton Reed to, to stop him or uh, you rotate really well if you double. Uh, but point is, those are the two keys, right? And in terms of how we approach defensively, it's like, I don't understand this. We don't want NC State to beat us from the three-point line because they really only have two guys that can that can do that. And, you know, when you're when you're chasing over in the drop, like Horn's not able to create a three for himself. So, like, I understand that. Um, they scored 30 bench points against us. Like, that's, I feel like, part of the, like, on the road to do that, I feel like is much harder. Like, those guys, like, everyone kind of made all their shots off the bench, like, like, uh, what was it? Middlebrook's five for five, Diara three for three, uh, O'Connell one for two, Cam Woods one for one. I'm pretty sure Diara's a lot of offensive rebounds. Yeah, he had four offensive rebounds. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Wake's guards just seem to play way better at home. They seem to shoot better at home. Everything is just a machine at home. So I expect that to continue. Uh, last thing about NC State, they are last in ACC play in effective field goal percentage. Like, they're not a good. Like they're not a good shooting team, like whether it's two or threes, it's like, uh, but it's one thing they do really well is they're eighth in the entire country in uh turnover percentage. That's a common Kevin Keats thing. Like they just take care of the ball. Like they, they end possessions with shots and not turnovers. And as you've seen turnovers and easy runouts is, is what can lead to a team on the, a home team to like really get going and, and make it really hard for a road team. So that's, I think, a really good thing for NC State to be able to travel. Like they, they, they defend their defensive-minded team and they take care of the ball. So um, those are two things they do really well um, that will keep them in it if they're scoring. And like I said, I'm only really scared of them getting in a nice offensive rhythm if it's one of the DJs. Now it's time to get into predictions. One of you guys, I'll, I'll let you guys kick it off. 
you know, Christian, you were talking about sort of what the line for this game kind of looks like. And I think nine is probably about right. And I, I agree with you. I think Wake Wake just looks so dominant at home. And they've found so few teams that have like really truly tested them at home. Like they, they beat the brakes off Virginia Tech at home, you know, played a close game against Miami at home, but they've just looked like such a complete, you know, and really tough team to come in and beat at home because they're so good offensively. And it's just tougher for teams in the ACC to be to match up with Wake offensively on the road. And they just look more sound, more consistent. Um, in their own building, which, you know, so many teams in the country do. But Wake is one of the best teams in the country at home over the past couple of seasons, you know, let alone in the ACC. So, you know, I find it. I agree with you. I don't see a ton of paths that exist for NC State to winning this game unless you let some fluke kind of stuff happen like you did on the road last game, unless you're barring like a total collapse. But like, you know, having watched both of these teams a decent amount, watched how they've both been playing like recently, there's no reason to believe in my mind that Wake Forest is going to lose this game. I think it's one that you have every factor sort of going for you. You know, you have the emotional part of it, like you mentioned, that Wake is going to, this is going to be one that the staff and the team really, really wants to have with having lost to this, to an in-state rival three games in a row. So you have that part of it going for you. You have sort of the, you know, the recent trend of Wake having just absolutely blown out their past two opponents and, you know, coming off two big wins, playing a really good brand of cohesive basketball. And if you want to get into this, you have NC state just coming off of a really, you know, tough, heartbreaking loss against Pitt where they kind of just got beat wire to wire and trailed the entire game. So with those three things going for you, I think this is a game that wake can win by 15 or 20 points. I'm not going to go out and predict that. I do think I do like wake by 11 in this game. I think that, like you said, I think cruise control is a decent term to use because I think, if Wake answers, you know, the two direct problems that were lingering from last game or from any time you played NCC, which is like, how do you take their X factors out of it, which are DJ Burns and DJ Horn? I think there are clear paths that exist to doing that. And I think that, for you know, Steve Forbes and the staff have shown the ability to adjust really well, like, you know, especially, um, you know, as we get later into the season and, and more tape exists on these teams and you just sort of figure out what your identity is. I think Wake takes care of business in this one. I think Cam Hill just playing more like himself. I think Boopy Miller's been better recently. I like both of those guys to play better. And I like Wake to win. Um, I'm trying to think of an exact score here. I like 86-75 Wake. My turn. I, I like the idea of Wake just starting hot and like continuing to play good basketball and like just, you know, beating a team they're better than on their home floor. Uh, so we're going to roll with that. Uh, I'm going to be slightly different from Ben. We'll say uh, 82 to 70. And I think that your margin is is right on point. Um, yeah, just go outclass him. Just start strong, outclass him. You know, don't let turnovers be an issue. And uh, hit a bunch of threes. Let's have some fun. Let's get a Damari 5-3 game. Yeah, that, that, that would actually be so hype just because I think of what the crowd's going to be in the student section. I mean, the student section is still cheering every time Damari comes onto the court. Like, just him coming off the injury, he's become a fan favorite. Um, I mean, I'll take a slightly more conservative route, and we've talked about this game ad nauseum, so I'm not going to get into the X's and O's anymore. But I think with the Syracuse and Georgia Tech games, Wake Forest in many ways had its back against the wall. Like, the, 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 the context of their season, their backs were against the wall. And they, in that setting, caught lightning in a bottle. Like, they found the best versions of themselves 
and absolutely waxed teams that they should be. So how do they do that when their backs are kind of against the wall again? Like Wake Forest with their backs against the wall at NC State faltered. Wake Forest with their backs against the wall this season against NC State at home, what do they do? Do they remain having that lightning in the bottle? And I think they do. I think Wake Forest wins this game. I think, as you said, Ben, I think Wake Forest can beat the brakes off NC State at home. I don't think they will, but this is a very, very good Wake Forest basketball team. If they play like it, play like it, they just have to put it all together. I think they do. I think Wake Forest wins comfortably, but NC State's going to battle back. I'll take a six-point win. I'm going to go 74-68, but that's with the caveat that I think Wake Forest can win by a lot more. This has been an 80, nearly an 80-minute podcast. So cheers to everyone who tuned in. We had a lot to discuss on this one. And of course, having a a third talking head in this podcast who loves to talk ball just as much as us uh, certainly is is conducive to having a podcast this long. So cheers to all those who stuck around till the end. Cheers to Christian and Jack Jen for joining us. We're always happy to have the third member of our trio back to discuss Wake Forest basketball. That'll do for us now. We'll be back after NC State to discuss that game and get ready for a very quick turnaround against Duke on Monday. Thanks for joining the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy and Christian O'Jackson. I've been Essex there. See you all soon.